We've been talking about the soft skill of integrity this month, and for today's podcast, I'm joined by our good friend, Justin Warfel. Justin Warfel earned his Bachelor of Arts in Political Science and Speech Communication from the University of Illinois in 2001. He has extensive experience in electoral politics. He's worked in management-level positions on numerous local, state, and federal campaigns. Justin completed his Master's of Divinity at Denver Seminary in 2016. Shortly thereafter, he earned four units of clinical pastoral education during his period of residency with the VA healthcare system. An 11-year veteran of the Army National Guard, Justin currently serves in the chaplaincy where he ministers to soldiers and mentors officer candidates. Throughout his tenure of military service, Justin has worked in both law and the ministry, been deployed to Afghanistan, graduated the Army's basic instructor and small group leadership courses, and earned his qualification as a master resiliency trainer. When not serving in uniform or standing at the pulpit, Justin spends his time hiking and camping. He has an extensive board game collection, which he adds to and plays every chance he gets. And Justin has introduced us to some awesome board games. So thanks, Justin. <laughs> I'm so glad My you're pleasure. here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm so glad you're here today. And I really um, wanted to get your take with your background in politics, as well as serving in the ministry and in the military, what your thoughts are on integrity, where we are as a culture, and where do you see us going in this very important issue? Um, it's not just a soft skill, it's a character issue. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I think you know, as we were preparing for the podcast, one of the things that you and I were talking about was the idea of just kind of the, the state of the union of integrity within our society. And I, I think that's a good way of thinking about it. Uh, when I think about this issue generally, I, I, I like to move from general to specific. So generally, I, I like to think about integrity in terms of the way it, or the lack of integrity in terms of the way that it's impacting our society, our culture as a whole. And more and more recently, I've been noticing within our language and within the way that we live our daily lives, just a general lack of integrity throughout the culture. So what do I mean by that? Well, two things specifically as it relates to society at large. Our lives are very compartmentalized. The essence of integrity is to maintain a wholeness, a unity. That's kind of the essential meaning of the word is that it's, uh, it's for something to be integrous, it is whole, it is unified. And our lives are anything but. We have very highly compartmentalized lives. We have our life at the office. We have our life at home. If we're involved in social activities, that's a, a separate facet of our lives as well. In the, in the church, all of those things are very compartmentalized. So when I'm at home, the way that I present myself to my family and the way that I interact with my family may look nothing like the life that I live in my job. And again, that also may not in any way, shape, or form be represented in the way that I present myself when I'm at church or with my Bible study. Mm -hmm. So these, oh, go ahead. Well, do you think that's different than it's always been? I mean, has that, is, is this any different than people have always interacted with the different pieces of their lives? Or do you see a change? Uh, you know, I, I haven't seen a change in that within my lifetime. But I can say that as a culture, that's a, a relatively new phenomenon. I mean, you imagine prior to World War II, we were a primarily agrarian society. Certainly, that was different within the, 
the, the metropolitan areas, but the vast majority of the country prior to World War II, at least 50%, oftentimes greater than that, if you look back on our history, has been an agrarian-based society where people worked, had lived, died within the same communities, within the same few miles, and were constantly living, working, doing life around, alongside of, around each other, alongside of one another, and continually with one another. Mm-hmm. And so the, the idea that I would have a highly compartmentalized life where people who see me at work don't see me at home, people who see me at home may or may not see me, you know, people I go to church with may not be the people I work with and may not be representative of my family. Those, those three spheres today can be entirely, entirely separate from one another, whereas in this nation's past, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. You lived, worked, lived with, worked alongside, and went to church with individuals who were all the same people. And so they saw you and we saw each other in each of those areas of our lives. They couldn't be compartmentalized. They couldn't be separate. We couldn't have different identities in each of those facets of our life. Right. And now it seems like just with the internet and so many mobile devices, we can access anywhere in the world at any time. And so it's very easy to be compartmentalized because people don't even really have to see each other. Like right now, you're in a completely different state than I am. And we're not seeing each other as we do this podcast. So I think that's becoming far more common than ever it was for sure. Um, Yeah, technology is certainly a a driver of all of this. I, I would agree. Yeah. You mentioned something that's really interesting to me. You said, um, even in our language, we're not integrated necessarily. What exactly did you mean by that? How are we showing that lack of integrity in our language? I don't know how long it's actually been present, but I think over the past five years or so, I've noticed the language shift from people saying, I think, to at large people say, I feel. Mm. How do you feel? How do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? Not what do you think? And when people present their perspectives, very rarely do individuals actually say, well, I think this about a given subject, or I think that about a given subject. Instead, they say, I feel. And I, this, to me, is, again, evidence of a, a generalized lack of integrity within our society. In order to have internal integrity, we have to be willing to give intentional thought to whether or not our perspectives are congruent with each other, whether or not our values that we hold on different issues are congruent with each other. And unless I'm giving my perspective on different issues intentional thought, if instead I'm thinking about them or feeling about them as opposed to thinking about them, I should say, if my actions and my thoughts are driven by my feelings rather than about what I'm thinking, then it's entirely possible for them to be incongruent without me ever realizing it, and therefore evidencing the lack of integrity in my life. And, and this really gets back to, uh, you know, another soft skill of critical thinking, that it, there's been so much um, uh, magazine articles, this is one of the four C's of education right now is critical thinking, how do we teach critical thinking, and really what you're talking about with the language gets back to the ability to think critically or not, and it's reflected in how we're talking to each other especially in arguments. You see this on social media so much where people are arguing with emotion instead of a well-reasoned argument that, that's sequential and logical and follows some form and, and you can actually, you know, follow and debate. <laughs> oh, 
exactly so. I mean, if, if you visit the comment section of almost any any given social media network or news outlet, if you scroll down to the comments and read those, what you'll often find is that very well-reasoned arguments may in fact be present, but they never appear to have an impact uh, uh, upon the, the conversation as a whole. They don't seem to drive it. They don't seem to change perspectives because by and large, I think most of us are arguing, like you said, from feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and it does seem like so much of the news outlets right now are really more opinion outlets. It's hard to find real quality news. Again, it gets back to that language of how do, what are people's perceptions of something versus the, the facts or the logical argument behind it. Um, well, and I, I think there the problem is, just as you stated it, it analytical reasoning. It, the process of communicating is devoid of analytical reasoning. Most of us are, again, just spouting what we feel as opposed to engaging with others about what we think, engaging in reasonable, well-reasoned discourse with one another. In, in society that, as a whole, be, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You said in society as a whole is. In, in society as a whole, it makes it very difficult for us to impact one another to change each other's minds on a given subject. If, if, I'm, if you and I are sitting down and talking about something about which we may disagree, and we're each bringing well-reasoned arguments, and we're each willing to analyze our own thinking, critique it, and make certain that what we believe, what we think, and what we'd like to see in society are congruent with one another, then we may in fact be able to change each other's perspective. Because if, if I'm analyzing my own thoughts, my own values, to see if they're congruent with one another, then what I'm evidencing is a willingness to change my perspective if that perspective isn't congruent with reality. Mm-hmm. However, if I'm arguing from an emotional perspective, I'm not really giving any thought to whether or not I'm correct. I'm just spouting what I think. I mean, in essence, I'm reacting. Right. Because I was going to ask you, does it really matter if our, if our language reflects feelings or or, uh, you know, logical thinking, is there really any kind of like negative impact of it? But exactly what you just said, there is clearly negative impact from it because we can't discourse with each other and sway each other persuasively to one thing or another. It's just all emotive and reactivity. Right. And so I think we've kind of transitioned from the, the fact that we see it, the evidence of, of a lack of integrity in society to now we're noticing and discussing the impact of it, the negative effect that it's having. That covers the the general society at large. Society is evidencing a lack of integrity. Our daily lives are evidencing a lack of integrity. But I think we also see that since society as a whole, since we as individuals are living out a daily lack of integrity in our lives, and that has an impact on the institutions that we inhabit. Mm -hmm. My background is primarily in the military, in politics and in the ministry. And unfortunately, I can tell you that in each of those institutional arenas, I, I, I see a great deal of evidence of a, a lack of integrity. Mm. And that makes sense, right? It stands to reason, especially in a, a democratic society, it stands to reason that if the people as a whole are evidencing a lack of integrity in their lives, then the institutions that those people are part of are also then going to manifest a lack of integrity in the way that they function. 
Right. What, what do you see as the most concerning between those three spheres? I mean, you're in, you're in some, you're in all the spheres that we're supposed to not talk about in polite company, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I, what, what do you see as the most concerning in politics, the military and the chaplaincy, just as far as a lack of integrity goes? Is there anything that really stands out for you? Well, in, in each one, there are areas that stand out for me. So in, in the military, where I see the, the greatest evidence of a lack of, uh, a lack of integrity is in the, uh, the careerism that's very ever-present in, uh, in our military. So the, the, the military is, thankfully, in one sense, it's a meritocracy. So if, if you are capable, you will be able to or should be able to progress in your career, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. And certainly amongst those who are defending our country against existential threats, we want to know that those are competent individuals who are taking on those roles, competent and capable. Right. And so the idea of meritocracy gives us some reason to, to hope that those who are laying their lives on the line for us to defend us are actually going to be able to, to do that effectively. Mm-hmm. So it, on one hand, the idea of, uh, of careerism within the military, of of offering individuals the opportunity to progress in their field based upon their level of skill and competency is good. Where that gets perverted is when it becomes the driving motivation for individuals. And unfortunately, I think especially within our officer class in the military, we certainly see that. That at some level and at some point in time, the focus shifts from what are called, you know, I serve in the the Army. The focus shifts from the Army values that are meant to be and are taught in our basic training installations, as well as in our officer candidate schools. The focus shifts within the individual from those those Army values to the value of self and getting ahead. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately is, can be and is rewarded lucratively as a person progresses up the chain of command and then works towards their retirement. And so that becomes that that financial reward or the the status of holding the given position becomes a driving motivator. Why do I call that a lack of integrity? A person could simply say, well, sure, that's evidence of ambition. Mm -hmm. That's evidence of a desire to achieve. How is that an evidence of a lack of integrity? Well, it goes back to the army values. selfless service. Right? The, the, the concept of selfless service is one that's taught at every basic installa- basic training installation in the United States Army. It's taught at our officer candidate schools as well. The idea that as an individual in uniform who's charged with protecting the Constitution and the lives of the people of this nation, that your role is to put the welfare of that Constitution of this nation of the men and women serving alongside you and, and, and beneath you is to put those institutions and individuals ahead of yourself. Now, if I'm, if I'm stating on one hand that I believe in selfless service, but on the other, the highest motivator in my career is my career itself, those two things are at odds with one another. I may be saying that I'm living by the army values or that I hold those to be true, but on the other hand, if I'm putting my career progression ahead of everything else, then what I'm evidencing is that I don't actually believe that those values 
are what should drive me or be my focus. And therefore, I lack integrity. Hmm. Wow, that's an excellent explanation. Thanks for that. So do you mind doing the same thing with politics and the chaplaincy? I mean, the chaplaincy is part of the military. Is that the same kind of thing? Would you, or even just in the church generally? I think as it relates to the ministry, I'll just speak of it to, to the, the church generally, not the chaplaincy specifically. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but looking at it, uh, at politics, what I see there, kind of two areas where I see a, a great evidence of a lack of integrity in politics are partisanship and campaign promises. Mm. What I mean by partisanship isn't the divide between Republicans and Democrats and the fact that we have parties. I don't think having parties represents a lack of integrity. But the degree to which we exercise as an electorate a sports fan-like mentality in the way that we give consideration to the actions of politicians who share our political affiliation. And what do I mean by a, a, a sports fan-like mentality? Oftentimes in sports, what you'll see is that sports fans will absolutely hate one of their opponents, a, a player on another team, and choose that individual as someone that they cannot stand. They'll denigrate them. They'll say, well, they do this, they do that. I, I, I don't like them because of X, Y, or Z. That's why I just can't stand the pitcher on that baseball team that my team plays against, or why I just hate that, uh, that wide receiver on, uh, on the football team that my team plays against and has a rivalry with. I just hate that person. If you ask them, well, why do you dislike that person so much? And they'll usually have a, a litany of reasons, but then it's very easy to ask them, well, what about player X on your team? Doesn't player X don't they do many of these same things? Well, that's different. He's one of ours. He's on our team. Mm -hmm. so I, I hate an individual because they are the opponent. And I say that I dislike them because of the, these attributes in their behavior. But if someone on my own team evidences those same patterns of behavior, I'm willing to overlook it because they're on my side. And I think we see that in politics as well. We we see where political figures of the opposing party are reviled. The Republicans may revile a given individual, a given political figure within the Democratic Party, and be able to state why they hold that individual within contempt. But then if they see evidence of some of those same personality traits within politicians in their own party, they're more than willing to look those over, overlook those because, well, he's one of ours or she's one of ours. And so I, I think that certainly evidences a lack of integrity within the mindset of the individual who identifies with a given party. Mm -hmm. It's really situational ethics. I, I mean, it's really, if, if the situation serves me, then I'm willing to overlook things. And if it doesn't, then I'm going to really hone in on it. Um, in many ways. Correct. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I want to get back to politics, but I, I'm curious about your thoughts on the ministry before we, I go back to my burning question about politics. <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, the ministry, oh, I, I saw a quote recently from one of my, well, it was a, a statement on Facebook from a, a, a pastor whose, whose church I attended when I was in seminary. And I think well of him. I, and I, I think very few people would, would, 
at first blush be able to to critique the the statement that that he made on Facebook as being anything other than positive. He said, you know, we we at our church we do Bible things in Bible ways. That seems pretty reasonable. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? At first blush, that sounds great. Well, good. We do Bible things in Bible ways. But if we look at it beyond beyond the the, the surface level, give it a little bit of, of thought analysis, and actually apply the Bible to that statement, what we see is that it, it in and itself evidences a lack of integrity. Mm-hmm. You know, I started off talking about how in society at large, our lives are very compartmentalized, and how that lack of unification of who we are in each role in our life evidences a lack of integrity. Mm-hmm. Well, so also within the faith, if if I identify as a disciple of the Messiah, if I serve Jesus Christ, if that is who I am in my life, if I'm a Christian, then I am, in essence, stating that God's word is the foundational principle by which I live my life. And there should be no aspect of my life that is not defined by the fact that I'm a Christian. But if I'm saying that I do Bible things in Bible ways, I'm tacitly stating that I believe that there is a difference between the secular mm-hmm. and the, uh, the religious. Mm-hmm. And I'm creating a divide between the two and there, thereby giving myself an excuse to live differently within different roles. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, a, if I'm leading Bible study, well, I'm doing a Bible thing. So I'm going to live that out in a Bible way. And I'm going to try to evidence integrity and present myself in a very biblical light when I'm within that context. When I'm at church, I'm going to be on my best behavior. But when I'm at work and I'm hanging out with the guys or I'm given a, a difficult decision as to, to whether or not to fudge some of my paperwork in order to, to get ahead, well, maybe I'll be willing to do that because that's that's not really part of the religious sphere. And so I'm, I'm more willing to perhaps compromise. But if I'm, if I'm going to state that the Bible is first and foremost, the definition, the foundation of each and every aspect of my life, then I won't say something along the lines of, I do Bible things in Bible ways, but rather that I live my life by biblical principles. Mm-hmm. And more of an integrated whole, getting back to the foundational stem root word of, of integrity, which is integer, which means complete or whole and, and really not dividing. And really what you're talking about is thinking critically about words because words really matter. Um, we're called to be people of the word. And yet, you know, on first glance, I mean, we all are so busy to think that critically about, about some of the, you know, we all see memes and cute sayings and, stuff like that all the time, how do we train our brains to get to the point where we're thinking critically about what we see and take in and what we say? That's a serious discipline that you're talking about. <laughs> uh, absolutely, it is. It, I mean, that's If our life is going to be defined by something, then that thing that by which we're defining our life has to be something that we know intimately. Mm-hmm. And to know something infin- intimately takes dedication. You know, a husband and a wife are meant to know each other intimately. They're meant to have the, the closest bond amongst human beings that we know. 
And in order to do that, they have to dedicate themselves to one another, to knowing each other, to spending time, to, to spending time with one another. And that takes intentional effort. If we're going to dedicate ourselves to living by biblical principles, then it means we have to know God's word, the Bible. And we can't just know it. We have to be willing to live it out. And you're right. That takes discipline. It takes dedication. It takes a great deal of effort. It is, in fact, a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Right. I, there, was a, there was this real um, thought a couple decades ago, like just if you're busy um, and you don't have all the time to spend with your kids, just make sure it's quality time. And as a working mom years and years ago with, with toddlers, I, it's quickly evident that quality time is quantity. And then if you're going to put quality into something of knowing something well, you have to put an amount of time into it too. Um, it's not one or the other. It's, it's a both and kind of thing. Um, at least in my life, it, it's not, you just can't come up with quality just off the cuff. You have to put the time and, and the hard work into it too. Um, Certainly ask, ask any teacher what they expect of their students. They expect their students to spend time, effort, a great deal of energy, and certainly back to a great deal of time in studying and preparing for either writing a paper or taking an examination. If the student isn't being intentional about focusing on the task for an extended period of time, they're not ultimately going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Thanks, Justin. It was great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Lisa. It was my pleasure. Thank you.